You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. Finishing up Romans today, um, for those of you who are like, you know, man, this has been good and long, and hopefully now you're an expert, and I hope as you read Romans again in a few years or as you go through the Word that you'll be reminded of some of the things that Paul um, has for us. Today's message I've titled Heroes and Villains. Um, because we all like movies and stories that have heroes and villains. And as Paul wraps up the text in chapter 16, he spends time addressing some of the heroes, people he got to work with, people he knew about in the church who had done great things for the church in Rome. And it means a lot for us today. But also, he mentions things that we should watch out for and sort of warns us against things that may sound great but would be considered false. So we're going to wrap it up today, and then next week celebrate Palm Sunday, uh, Good Friday, Easter, and uh, it's just going to be an awesome time um, bringing in the spring uh, with our family. And so we'll notice as we get into this word that Paul does what he does in a lot of his letters. He offers a greeting to the people that he knows. But what's different and a little bit unique about this greeting is it comes at the end, and the amount of people that he mentions. And so we need to pay attention to that, even though it's a list of a lot of names that I'm going to sort of mumble through. Um, You're going to have to bear with me. But he greets specifically 26 individuals, two different families, and three house churches. Now keep in mind, Paul hasn't actually been there. So for him to know that many people in his commendations, in his greetings, it tells us that his passion for them, his connection to this church is really, really deep. And you may be asking, you know, how did he know all these people, right? And, and that's the thing is he, these are people that he had heard about, read about, heard from. Many of them were heroes. And he's also going to then warn us about people that he knows either are there or are coming who are going to spread false messages to the church in Rome. So we get today to look at a brief snapshot of early Christianity, And so as we're reading this list and as I'm going through and stumbling through some of these names that are hard to read, I want us to remember this. I want us to see these people as people who did ministry with Paul, people who were a part of the church. And I want us to see that these people, the nature, the way that they lived, caused one of the greatest spreads of Christianity the world has ever known. And it it had the power back then to change the world. The gospel of Jesus that Paul preached had the power to change the world for the first century church, and I'm telling you, it has the power to change the world now. And that's good news. And so we're going to look and see at the people he mentions and why they were so effective. All right, let's dive in. We're going to look at the first 16 verses of chapter 16. It's a a list of people that Paul personally wants to greet. And so let's read this, uh, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 16. Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the people or of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. 
They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. If you guys are looking for names for your next child, this is a great place to go. Uh, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, uh, Phlegion, Herm, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. So we're going to go through this list briefly. I want us, I'm going to share some of the insights and things that I've learned along the way to help maybe understand that these aren't just names. Uh, these are people that had ministries and did things with Paul, for Paul, alongside of Paul. And so I don't want us to just brush and glaze over this like, okay, cool, Paul had friends at the church in Rome. I want us to see the people that he was drawn to, the people that he appreciated, the people that he was thankful for. And so when we begin the list, if you go back through it, I'm going to just kind of go through these. But Phoebe is who he starts with, who Paul refers to as a sister and a servant of the church. And the letters of accommodation were important. And so Paul starts with her and gives a letter of accommodation uh, of commendation because in the ancient world, when you traveled, people needed references. They needed to know that the person was credible. And so people would travel and depend on the assistance of other people to meet their needs and to be accepted. And so Phoebe was apparently traveling to Rome, possibly, we don't know this, but might have been carrying one of Paul's letters to that church. And so he encourages the church right out the gate to welcome her, to accept her, to provide for her if she has needs. And Phoebe, according to Paul, is more than just a sister. She was a servant, someone who was working. Now the word there is diakonos, which means servant generally. It's also the word that we use um, for the role of a deacon. Paul calls her a benefactor of many. Paul refers to her as someone who was beneficial. It's likely that she was wealthy. History says that maybe she was a businesswoman, and she used her wealth to support the church and to support missionaries like Paul. So she may have been supporting him, and he was letting them know, support her as well. Um, she's, she's bringing something to you. Welcome her. Provide for her. Um, help her out. The next on the list, Paul mentions two people that might seem more familiar. You may have heard of them before, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, these were co-workers, people that did ministry with Paul. They were originally from Rome, and Paul met them and ministered with them in Corinth, and then later in Ephesus. Early on, they were the ones that um, taught Apollos the true doctrine of Jesus in Acts 18, where it seems that there's confusion about the doctrine. They were the ones that taught him correct doctrine. They were tent makers, so they were wealthy enough that they had a big house, a big location for them to live, and probably were one of the uh, people who housed the house churches. Wherever they went, they would allow people to come and do church with them. 
Um, other people that we're going to go through in this list are less well-known. They're not names that you've probably come across all the time. Epinetus um, mentioned only here, the only place in the Bible we see that name. Paul knew this person well enough to call him a dear friend. So while we don't know a lot, Paul knew this person. He was the first person that was converted in Asia Minor. And later on, he must have moved to Rome. And so Paul said to take care of his dear friend. Paul mentions Mary, who was a hardworking Christian woman. It says, then we go to Andronicus and Junia. Now there's a lot of debate around those names uh, in some circles. Um, but one of the questions people have is whether Junia is a man or a woman. The name is kind of confusing in the language it was written. Most likely, it was a woman and either is the sister or the wife of Andronicus. So they're mentioned there together. And they may have been relatives of Paul. He mentions that they were in prison with him. At some point, there might be some relation to him. Um, but some of the translations make it sound like they may have been uh, involved in apostolic work. They were a missionary team doing work for Jesus uh, in Rome. The next four names, uh, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Statius, and Apellus, uh, these are common slave names. Um, that's really all we know, um, but we know that Paul acknowledges them um, as people that mattered to him and to the ministry, and that most likely they were slaves. The next three, Aristo Aristobulus, Herodian, and Narcissus, um, are connected in some way to the imperial household in Rome. So again, we swing the pendulum um, from slaves to people involved in the imperial household. Um, but those three names would have been connected there. Um, and then we move on to Tryphania and Tryphosa. Uh, most people think that they were sisters, maybe twins. Again, great names if you have twins. Um, their names come from the root word meaning delicate, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, but they were hard workers, right? So there's this balance of their, their name meaning delicate, uh, maybe a tender, soft name, but they were really hard workers, Paul says, for the Lord. Persis uh, means a woman of Persia. That name means that. So this was another hardworking friend of Paul's. Rufus um, is interesting. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, now this is just speculation, but in the Gospel of Mark, there's a mention that Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus, had two sons. Uh, one, of that, uh, one of his sons was named Rufus, and so it's quite possible that Rufus is Simon's son, which is kind of interesting, right? That possibly the man who carried um, the cross of Jesus, his son, was someone that Paul knew and did ministry with. Um, but in any case, the word tells us that Paul's, uh, this person's mother, Rufus's mother, uh, became almost like a mom to Paul. Um, very caring for him, important in his ministry. And then Paul jumps into two groups at the end of that text. The first group was, was all the men that he listed, and the second group was a mixture of men and women. Um, but these were most likely the house churches that Paul knew about. So in Rome, there were churches meeting in houses. Uh, that's what they did then. And so he knew about these churches, and he wanted to send greetings to those churches that were meeting in the homes. As I look through that list, and I say, What's the point, right? What, like, what does this mean to us? I think there's two things that I want to share about it um, that I think Paul would say, this is really important for you to understand about the greater church of Jesus, all the ministers, the whole body serving the Lord. And the first thing is that the church is meant to be diverse. 
I don't think any, I mean, I don't think anywhere in Scripture we can find a reason to believe otherwise, but Paul for sure, in the way that he lists these people of who he cares for and who he wants to be looked after, we know that Paul wants and believes that the church of Jesus should be diverse. You look at the list that we just talked about, you can see how diverse in Rome the church was and how diverse all churches should probably be. The church in Rome, uh, according to Paul and history, the church in Rome included really, really rich people. And it also included really, really poor people. The church in Rome included slaves, as we mentioned. We don't know anything else but other than that those were common slave names. And Paul said to greet them. So the church existed filled with slaves, but also free people. The church in Rome and the church today should and uh, include Jews, and it should include Gentiles. It did in Rome. Paul says, he, he mentions Jews and he mentions Gentiles. He mentions Greeks and he mentions Romans. He mentions forgotten church, house church members that, that maybe they don't even know the names, and then members of the imperial household. Paul knew all of these people, listen, by name. Never being there, never, never setting foot there yet to this point, Paul calls them by name because they matter to him. All of the people, the rich, the poor, the slaves, and the free, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks and the Romans, the forgotten and the ones who belong to the political estate, Paul knew these people by name. And just like Rome, this should be the same for the church today. I remember when I was younger, I heard at a... Uh, Promise Keepers Conference that I went to with my father, and I, I have no idea who said it. You maybe do know, but I heard someone say that Sunday morning at 9 a.m. is the most segregated hour in the United States of America. And it's, it's, it's awkward when you read texts like this and you go, it should be the most, uh, it should be the most diverse and unified time ever is when God's people get together. There should be slaves and free people. There should be Jews and there should be Gentiles. There should be rich people and there should be poor people. The church is diverse. The second thing I think that Paul would tell us and we should notice about this list of people is he spends a ton of time commending them for their service. He doesn't commend them for showing up. He doesn't commend them for giving money. He doesn't commend them for uh, saying the right things, following the rules. He commends them for their service. All of these, hard worker. Mary was a hard worker, right? Um, these people were making tents and housing people. Notice how many of them are, are, are known for what they did. People who served the Lord, they labored and worked all for Jesus, making it a priority to serve him. Whether they were male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, they all were serving in some way. Some of them were commended for serving. Many were commended for suffering. Many of the people on this list had risked their lives. Some of them had been in prison. Others had been tested and approved. But because these people had been so devoted to serving and to suffering, they were willing to suffer. Paul loved them and appreciated them, and they mattered to him and to God. And it's important that we know these two things still for us today as a church, especially for our faith family here at the Church of Christ at Tree, we should celebrate diversity. This should be a place where we are not all alike. This should be a place where we continue to love and to reach all people with the good news of Jesus and the good news of salvation, regardless of gender, race, economics, or education. Can I get an amen on that? 
that this should be a place where the drunk feels safe and the person who we think has it all together feels safe and where we can sit together and worship and grow and learn and love together. Because at the foot of the cross, it's all equal. Right? It's, it's, we're all the same, sinners in need of Jesus. And so it's important that we celebrate and welcome and encourage diversity in church. We also need to remember that we need to continue to serve and to sacrifice for God. In ministry to the Lord, not because it makes us better, not because God needs us to do it, but because it's a privilege to be a part of what God's doing. And Paul said to these people, look at what they did. They served and they suffered. And I would ask, what are you and I, what are we doing to serve and to suffer? And it doesn't mean that we just have this martyr complex, oh, I gave all my money away, I've got it none because I gave it all, you know, Away. That's not what I mean by suffering. I'm saying in the face of persecution like these people, when facing imprisonment, they didn't shut up. They didn't stop talking about Jesus. They kept going. They made them, if you're going to make us stop, that's fine. You're going to have to put us somewhere where no one can hear us. We're going to keep serving God. We're going to continue to serve. We're going to continue to give. We're going to continue to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Paul, after talking to the church in Rome, says, take care of these people. They matter to me. They worked really, really hard. So what are you and I, what are we doing to serve? And then in verse 16, probably my favorite part in this text, it says that they greeted each other with a holy kiss. So I want to pause. Um, turn to your neighbor uh, and, and we're going to take a moment and just greet each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> oh, that, 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 they actually are. Earmuffs. Um, so I'm always interested by the, the weird things in Scripture. And so just a little history. The holy kiss uh, was practiced in the first century, right? So these people understood it. What they were uh, told during worship, there was a time where the, the, they would greet each other, and the men would kiss the men on the beard, and the women would kiss the women on the cheeks, and um, that that's, was the way that they greeted each other. Over time, uh, they used to do it around the, the Lord's Supper together, and eventually there was warnings. Uh, people were getting carried away. I don't know. I can only imagine. Uh, but they were raising concerns about possible abuse in the church. Um, you know, it was crazy. All the boys wanted to go to church all of a sudden, right? Um, but, uh, and so in the fourth century, they, they began to stop practicing this uh, in many of the churches. But today, we do handshakes and hugs, right? I'm not right now because of the pandemic. But normally, uh, and soon, hopefully soon, right, we can return to hugs and handshakes and high fives and boom fists and elbows, right? Um, because there was something that they understood about welcoming, loving expressions of unity and greeting towards each other. And we don't need a rule. Paul isn't telling them that, like, hey, don't forget, you need to do this. He's reminding them of the power and the importance of building relationships with each other. If we're going to serve God together, we need to have each other's backs. We're on the front lines. We're the ones that go to battle against the enemy, that tell the world about Jesus. I need you, like he said last week, I need you to pray for me and I need to pray for you because we are waging war against the princes of darkness, amen? And so when I see you, I need a high five. I need a hug. You need a high five. You need a hug. We need to support each other. And Paul's reminding them to keep it up. Keep expressing your genuine thankfulness and gratitude for each other. Because when push comes to, each to shove, we're all we got, right? 
other than the Lord. We've got each other, and we've got a battle to fight, and we've got a victory that we know is coming that's going to be won in Christ Jesus. But until then, we stand together, united, reaching the world for Jesus. Paul also mentions, um, and I want to just briefly mention this, uh, all the churches of Christ, he says, send greetings. I just want to clarify, he's not referring to the denomination. Sometimes people read that and like, see, churches of Christ. Um, Paul is referring to churches, assemblies, gatherings that come together in the name of Jesus. The point that he's making is it's not the church of Ryan Weaver. It's not the church of Todd Elliott. It's not the church of Alec Brenner. It's the church of Christ. So anyone who gathers in the name for the purpose, for the edification of Christ Jesus, he's saying, send their greetings to them. That they are on our team. And so we don't want to just be a church of Christ by name, which I'm thankful for, because it's an awesome reminder of who we serve and love and worship. But we need to be a church of Christ in our action and in our mission and in our attitude. That it's not just the name on their building, it's the way that we live. It's the attitude that we have is that of Christ Jesus. It's the way that we act and it's the mission that we have. Pick up on verses 17 through 18. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord uh, Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. It's strange to me that Paul waits to the very end of this book after he says, these are the heroes, the Phoebes, the Junius, the Epinetus, the, the people who are the heroes, and then he warns people about false teachers at the end. Maybe it's because the false teachers weren't there yet and he knew they were coming. That's possible. Um, we don't really know who exactly he was referring to, but he doesn't include those details. But what he does is he gives us a picture of what false teachers do, what their motive is, um, what their method is, and what the fruit is of what they do. And so it's a good introduction for us as we navigate a culture and a world that has news and ideas and theology and doctrine thrown at us all around. Like, my friends, listen, you can Google anything and find somebody that believes it. Like, you can literally go home and Google proof that Jesus was a girl. I mean, I mean it's ridiculous, right? And somebody's written an article on it, right? And so Paul's warning you and I and the church to be careful about false teachers. Not because it's going to be obvious, but because in a lot of ways, it's not going to be obvious. Um, because a lot of the language is going to sound really awesome. It's going to sound really, really appealing to a lot of people. And so I want to look at what Paul says. First of all, he says the motive. He tells us what their motive is. He says that they serve themselves. They're not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. That's the motivation. They serve themselves. So false teachers don't just err in doctrine and the things that they say. They, their motivation, the, what they're wired, what they want to do is serve themselves. The method, Paul tells us then, is that they are crafty and effective speakers. 
This doesn't mean that anybody that can communicate well is a false teacher. It also doesn't mean that just because someone doesn't communicate well that they're not a false teacher. But Paul's warning them that people are coming. They have come, they will come, and they're going to continue to come. And their motive is going to be to serve themselves. It's going to be for their own appetite, for their own motive. It's going to be totally selfish and all about them. And the way that they're going to do it is they're going to be super crafty and super effective. Tons of people are going to follow them. Kind of scary, right? Um, because there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of teachings that the motive seems, when you really get down to it, pretty selfish. And the people that are communicating it are really likable and really popular, and they do an incredible job of communicating it and rallying people around it. They're crafty and they're effective. And Paul says that the fruit is, it will create division in the church. So have there been false teachers? Absolutely. How do we know that? Because there's 400,000 denominations. Right? We know that because we can't unify around nearly anything as churches. We, we find more to be divided about than we do to be united about. And, and it's because people are saying things, teaching things that aren't true. And they sound great. Many of them sound really great. And by definition, a false teacher is, is anyone who propagates truth that's contrary to what the Bible says. And so this, my friends, there's nothing else. If it does not line up with this, it isn't, tr- it isn't true right? Like, so you don't need to read more books about Jesus. We have one. And so when a big, new, exciting book comes out that's going to tell you the truth about Jesus, you don't need to read it. We know the truth, right? We have the truth. And so by definition, anything that is contrary to Jesus, uh, to the scripture is false. The teachings are often illogical, so a lot of these things aren't logical, but they, they may mask a problem with a bunch of flurry and rhetoric that sounds really, really good. And they'll pull out tricks, and um, they'll gain a large audience, and they'll be engaging, and it'll be really, really fun to listen to. Paul points out that he didn't. If you notice in Romans, he says, I didn't use flattery. I wasn't trying to have the best presentation. I just wanted to plainly teach the truth. That was Paul's goal. You don't read lots of uh, great analogies. You don't read lots of fancy words in Paul's writing. He just came to tell it how it was. And many people in our world today come with exciting messages, gaining large audiences, telling us and lots of people what they want to hear. That if you just follow Jesus, you'll be healthy. The reason you have cancer is because you're not following Jesus. Just, you know, come to my healing service, uh, give more money. Pray more, have bigger faith. Like the reason, I mean, promising health, promising wealth, all people who follow God are just going to have it all. God's going to give everything that you ever want and everything that you could imagine. Just give your life to Him. Or they'll say things uh, that it doesn't matter what you believe, it, it doesn't matter at all what you believe. Just believe in God. That's it. Just. Just walk around, I believe in God, and that's good enough. Or love whatever you want to love, whoever you want to love, however you want to love, whatever. If, if you love it, it's fine. Right? That's a, that'd be awesome. <laughs> right? I mean, that'd be great if, I, if it's just up to me to decide what was true. And there's a lot of people that are falling into traps, believing things like universalism and other things that are absolutely false. Romans 16, 19 through 20. 
Everyone has heard about your obedience, referring to the church. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I love this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Man, I can't wait for that. He, he acknowledges and expresses confidence in them that they're not. He knows because of their obedience that you, they're not going to give in to false teachers. They know the truth. They're going to stand on it. They're obeying God, following Him, worshiping Him. And He's confident that they're going to continue in that way. But He wants them to focus on what's good and what's right. Listen, I am not going to stand up here and denounce every false teacher because there's a thousand billion of them and we'd be doing it every single Sunday. But I'm going to tell you what's good and right and His name is Jesus. And if you follow Him and you don't give in to any of the other voices, and you just worship him, Christ, and Christ alone, then you don't need to worry about the false teachers because you know the way and the truth and the life, and his name is Jesus. Right? And so, so much of our time and so much of my time, I want to occupy defending things. Why this person is wrong. Why this belief is wrong. Why this person's a heretic. Why this is the right way to believe this. But the truth of the matter is, my friends, if we understood and knew and read and followed this, we would know because it doesn't line up. It must not be true. Let's spend time knowing the one who is true, knowing the one who is right, knowing the one who is good, and then everything else is wrong. Instead of spending all of our time saying, yeah, don't, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are wrong. And they're lost, and they need to know Jesus. But he promises that the God of peace will soon crush Satan. But what's interesting is that promise goes back to the garden, right? In Genesis 3. So from the beginning, God knew that people were going to be led away by the devil and by false teachers and by people that had fancy, encouraging, fun, nice things to believe. He knew, and he's saying that that promise is still true. That the God of peace who was promised in the garden that he would crush the serpent it's still going to happen. I read a quote by Edward Carnell who said, it's better to divide over truth than to unite around an error. Unity and peace are really, really important, but the truth must be believed and fought for. But how comforting it is to know that the God of peace is with us, that His grace is with us. Verses 21 through 24. Timothy, he mentions, my co-worker sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sassipas, <laughs> pass, my fellow Jews. <laughs> I, Tertius, <laughs> sorry, I was going to have you guys, I was going to put the names in bold and say you guys need to read all the bold letters. So I was just going to keep reading and then listen to you guys try to say. Anyway, the things that go through my head. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Again, he's just mentioning people. Um, for we see him in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 17. Uh, Tertius is the scribe who wrote down the things that Paul said. He was likely a slave at one point. And uh, Gaius is from Corinth, who offered uh, hospitality to Paul in the church. Again, he's just thanking people. 
who have helped the church to be faithful and have helped him to spread his message. And then he closes with sort of a doxology or prayer. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul closes his, his letter with a sort of a doxology, echoing the, the themes and the key ideas from his letter. He begins the letter by stating that he's not ashamed. If you remember Genesis, or, I'm sorry, Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he praises God at the end, the one who is eternal, who's able to strengthen us in the gospel. Paul said in the letter that the good news of, of redemption for all people is the climax of God's plan. It's the mystery, but it's been revealed in Christ Jesus and made known for all of us. God's been saying that his desire was to bring all the nations to faith and obedience to salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles, and that's the message that Paul declares and proclaims to the church in Rome. So I just want to quickly summarize six things. If you have time to jot them down, this, uh, uh, these are the six things that I think are the key uh, top themes, I guess, of Romans as we wrap this up. Uh, I think these are just the six major things that I kept coming back to. Number one is that there is only uh, one way to receive. I might have typed that wrong. Yeah, there's only one way. Sorry. To receive righteousness from God, and it's through faith in Jesus. That's it. The only way for God to impute his righteousness on us is for you to have faith in his son. It's the only way. There's no... Um, specific exact prayer that you have to pray. There's no um, work that you can do that earns it. Um, it's faith in Jesus that allows God to impute the righteousness of Christ in our lives, which the second thing goes along with that. It's given to us by God's grace. So the righteousness of Christ that's given to us by faith is given by God's grace through our faith. Um, Grace is not getting some or getting something that you don't deserve. It's a free gift. None of us deserve this. None of us deserve to be seen as white as snow. None of us deserve to be made right. Um, we all rebel and sin against God. And it's the righteousness of Christ given to us through faith by God's grace. The third theme that's major in this book is that when someone believes, call for God, the gospel of Jesus, they're baptized into Christ. We see this in the Great Commission, that there was a call for God's people to go and to preach and to teach um, and to lead people to Christ and to baptize them and to teach them in the ways of obedience. And it's seen throughout Scripture that when we believe and we obey God, the more baptized into Jesus. For the forgiveness of our sins, we receive the presence and the Holy Spirit of God. And that's also understood by this church in Rome. Four, followers of Jesus should seek to offer their lives as living sacrifices. If you go back to Romans 12, where it talks about being a living sacrifice, learning to think like God and learning and to love like God. Um, that we continually laying our lives down for other people. Um, it's, it's constantly living 
Uh, a sacrifice is something that we give up, though, and it dies. And so it's this process of discipleship where we lay our lives down for God, um, and then we do it again the next day. Like, we wake up, God gives us another day, and we give our lives to Jesus again. Um, that followers of Christ should seek to be a living sacrifice, learning to think like God and learning to love like God. Number five, with one heart and one voice, and Paul talks about this a lot, we need to proclaim the good news of God's grace found in Jesus. This is not something that's just for the ministers or just for the elders or just for the deacons or just for the people that have the gift of communication. Um, We are all called to unify around the good news of Jesus and to take it to lost people. Um, That is our commission by God. And so we all should be doing that. Every single one of us should be united around the idea in our hearts and with our voice uh, about Jesus. And then finally, we want to help all people know Jesus and his power to save. Um, If you ever watched Popeye, remember when he was like, say, I can't stands no more? Like he just couldn't take it anymore? Uh, This is why I get up every day. Um, Everybody's got a little bit different personality. Um, Pete Wilson, a really good preacher, wrote a book called What Keeps You Up at Night? And he was talking about if you want to know what your purpose is, if you want to know um, what it is that God wants you to do, think about what it is that that you literally lose sleep over. Um, You just can't stand it. Like Popeye, right? You're just like, I can't stand that anymore. Maybe it's when parents abuse their kids. You're just like, I can't, I can't watch that. I cannot stand it. I mean, of course, none of us can stand that, but there are some people that just have it in them. They're like, I'm going to fix that. And I would say, yeah, go do it in Jesus' name, right? Get involved in social work and help those kids. Maybe it's hunger, world hunger. Maybe it's um, education. And you just can't stand how bad something is. And that's God telling you, like, do something about it. I've made you and I've given you that gumption that you can't stand it because I need you to go do something about it. And I'm telling you, this for me is the only reason that I get up every single day. I want every single person to know Jesus. And I want every single person, this may seem controversial, I don't really care what you believe and I don't care what your sin and what your vice is right now, I would love for you to worship with us. Like, you don't have to get your life together before you come here and hear about Jesus. This place should be diverse and very cultured. This should be a place where the Jew and the Gentile, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free man, they just say, there's nowhere else I'd rather be at at 10 a.m. on Sunday than with my family, learning and growing and and, and understanding Jesus and his love for me and and his desire for me to know him. And so we want to help all people know Jesus and that power Like the gospel, Romans 1, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of salvation for all who believe. Come on. Like there is power in the name and in the gospel and the good news of Jesus. If you want to make a change and change the world, tell people about Jesus. Don't tell them who to vote for. Don't tell them what gender to be. Tell them about Jesus. Stop trying to win them over to your side and just bring them to the cross with you and let Jesus fix them. It's the gospel that changes and sanctifies us to be good servants of God and to tell the world about Jesus. And I just keep coming back to this verse. I don't know, I don't have like a life verse, but I love this one. 
I want to say it, and then I want to read it together. And I only want you to read it with me in a minute if you believe it, because I really want this series on Romans to change us. And I want us as a church, as CCT, the Church of Christ at Treaty, to not just be Church of Christ by name, to be a Church of Christ by action and by mission and by attitude, to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Come on. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Say it with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed, are you? And I've got work to do and I've got boldness to be praying for and courage to be asking for, but I will not shut up or sit down until everyone has an opportunity to know about Jesus. Let's go, church. I am not ashamed, and the Bible and God's word and the good news is for everyone. And so, like, it's Easter. We're going to celebrate resurrection. Who are you going to bring? Who are you going to bring to hear about Jesus? Let's pack this place. Not for my glory, not for our glory, but for the glory of the Lord Jesus. That the lost might be found. Amen?